listening to The Jim Laird Show on Body IO FM, where health and performance collide with your host, Jim Laird. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Jim Laird Show brought to you by Body IO FM. I am your host, Jim Laird. Um, here on a Wednesday morning at the gym. Um, so you might get a little gym background noise in the podcast, so which would be okay. Just finished, uh, had some six ladies compete in a powerlifting meet last weekend um, in Louisville and uh, was pretty excited about the results. We had uh, every girl PR'd on something, which is um, really all you can ask for. We had several girls that were kind of getting back after not competing for a couple of years, so they were just kind of looking to tune some things up. And uh, we had another lady that was sick the week before the meet and still had a nice PR in her squat. And uh, another new girl that we've been working with that uh, is recovering from a broken kneecap that she broke before she uh, came to see me. And she uh, had a great day on the platform. So that's exciting. And uh, we've got another meet in September. And we have one lady that wants to drop a weight class to qualify for nationals. So she'll be competing again here in a couple weeks in August. So that definitely uh, keeps me on my toes. But uh, I definitely enjoy it, to say the least. So we... um, we have sort of a Q&A deal today, um, covering a, a, a little bit of topics. We're going to cover some shoulder issues. We had a question from Jack about shoulder issues. I have a question from Sam about what's the most difficult things I deal with as a coach. And then uh, Jessica ends it out with uh, a question about her training business and the direction she should go in. Um, so some different topics today. So hopefully that'll be of interest to you. And if you have any questions for me, I will do my best to get to them. Uh, you can email me at jimlaird at jimlaird.com or jimlaird at gmail.com, G-Y-M. Um, first of all, Jack writes in, and Jack is kind of a, a powerlifter slash bodybuilder, and he has a bunch of friends that are powerlifters slash bodybuilders, and they've been doing it for like five or six years. And he noticed he's having some shoulder issues, and so are a lot of his friends. And he was asking, is what is it about, you know, he benches a lot. What is it about bench press that uh, that causes so many shoulder issues? And, you know, if you'd asked me this like 10 years ago, I'd have said, well, it's because you don't do enough upper back work. And over the last uh, probably... Uh, and then th- that could be true to an extent, but it's, it's how you do your upper back work. Uh, I was very lucky early on in my career. Uh, I worked with uh, Brad Arnett at University of Arizona. I'm hoping to get Brad on the show here uh, coming up. Uh, he now has a uh, uh, performance center in Wisconsin called uh, NX Level Performance. And we worked a lot of swimmers, a lot of volleyball players, and, and – um, that's when I was exposed to like, you can't train like a swimmer or like a a volleyball player, like a power lifter, like their scapula needs to move. Okay. So that was kind of my first exposure to that because I was, you know, the powerlifting background, uh, you know, it was all about getting stronger. And and Brad was the first one that really exposed me to all there's movement involved too. And there's, you have to be able to move in certain ways for certain sports and strength is important, but being able to move that shoulder girdle is, is, is just as important. And then, Bill Hartman and Mike Robertson and Eric Cressy kind of took me, 
even further down that path. And one of my former staff members, Lucy Hendricks, um, helped educate me on this as well. And in powerlifting and in bodybuilding, you're taught to pull your shoulder blades together as hard as you can, especially in powerlifting. You, you create this, and it's the great, it's the best way to do the bench press is to, to glue those shoulder blades together. But if you're doing rows and deadlifts and pulling your shoulder blades on squatting, you kind of create this scapula that kind of it gets stuck, so to speak. So I'm going to film a video about some of the things. I was in a car wreck in like 2007, 2008. I hit a tree head on avoiding a deer. It was on a rural road and this deer jumped out in front of me and I just instinctively, instead of hitting the deer, I swerved and I hit an oak tree about 60 miles an hour head on. I broke the steering wheel clean off and like my right shoulder, there's nothing, nothing there. Uh, like my labrum's torn and my rotator, like everything's just trashed. I didn't end up having surgery because I could still bench like 405. I could still bang out push-ups, and and my orthopedic was like, you'd be stupid to get surgery because you're going to be, you know, out for a long time and you're going to lose a lot of function. So I decided not to do surgery. And then, you know, working with, with Bill Hartman up in Indianapolis and then experimenting with some different things over the last few years and then things I do with my clients, coming to the understanding that, yeah, for bench press and for heavy dumbbell presses, you want to pinch those shoulder blades together, but you've got to incorporate some sort of reaching, kind of reaching presses and reaching pull downs and reaching rows where you're kind of getting that scapula to glide. The scapula is designed to glide upwardly around the rib cage and then upwardly uh, on the rib cage. And then also doing some things to help mobilize the lats because, you know, when you're deadlifting and squatting and benching all the time, you're, you're, you're cranking those lats down which is going to, you know, can also uh, contribute to that extended position that we talk about where your rib cage is flared and you're also flaring your rib cage in the bench press. So if all you're doing is pulling your shoulder blades together as hard as you can all the time and you're not doing some sort of reaching, that's why I like bear crawls so much because it, it, it gets you to reach and move your scapula in a certain way and it also gets your rib cage in a good position. But what I'll do is I'll go through five, you know, three or four exercises that really help me and help some of my clients overcome some shoulder issues that are really simple that you can incorporate um, into your training to help your shoulders feel better. It, it gets back to the specificity versus general general training uh, thing. Like you want to, if you get want to get really strong in your bench press, or if you want a ton of hypertrophy, you've got to get very specific. But you also have to include enough general training function training so that you still can function and you're not in pain because if you're in pain then you can't train so there has to be a balance there so some of this stuff you can throw in on your training days or in between your upper body sets um to kind of uh help kind of get you moving it's not it's not these exercises are not going to put massive amounts of muscle on you but they are going to allow you to keep benching uh and keep pressing so that you can you know get closer to your goal whether it's benching a lot of weight or putting on a lot of muscle so I'll put a video together that you can check that out. But that's basically from what I've observed, you know, whether it's in pull-ups, it's in rows, it's in presses, you're constantly, you know, pulling those shoulder blades together and you're not really getting a reach in, which reach kind of activates serratus and it kind of gets the rib cage in a better position, um, which is going to help improve overall function day to day. Um, the next question is from Sam, and, and Sam writes in and is asked, what is the most difficult thing I deal with as a client uh, or as a coach with clients? And I'd say the most difficult thing is to get people to understand how much lifestyle plays into overall health and well-being. Uh, people come in here, they want to train, which is great. Um, obviously, they're coming to me to work out. 
but explaining to them, you know, walking, meditation, nutrition, all of that is going to give you the ability to train. And people just, people want to work out and they just want to work out. And we got to provide some of that in a safe way. But we also got to educate people on, um, you know, how important that lifestyle is, how important that nutrition is, how important sleep is so that they can continue to train because that's really the name of the game. And, you know, if you're a coach and you just throw people into exercise and you don't take the time to talk to them about self-care or working in, as I've called it for years, um, um, you're, you're just you're not your client is not going to have longevity and they're not going to get the results that they want. I mean, there's plenty of people that come in here that are training, you know, to me, come to me six, they're training six, seven days a week and they're not seeing any results. And it's because their, their lifestyle is horrible. You know, they're not sleeping, they're not taking care of themselves. And then once they back their training off a little bit and they start taking care of their lifestyle, um, things start going in the right direction. So that's, and then also another difficult thing, especially the powerlifting girls is getting people to understand that your performance daily can fluctuate 18%, about 18 to 20% in either direction on any given day. So, you know, you've got a, uh, you got a 400 pound deadlifter. Okay. And, uh, on any given day they can fluctuate. Let me see here. Calculator. 72 pounds in either direction. That's huge. Okay. So getting people to understand when they come in and train, like there are days they're going to feel great and there are days they're not going to feel great. And that doesn't mean they're getting weaker. That doesn't mean they're not making progress. It just means that they're normal. And so getting people to understand that there's a fluctuation in performance daily, depending on sleep, stress, um, you know, training load, where you are in your training cycle, there are going to be times, uh, the girls usually when we're about six weeks out and I'm beating them up a little bit where they don't feel as we as strong, you know, they're, they're slow, uh, things aren't moving as well. And I told them it's, it's designed to be like this. And then about usually about a week before the meet, um, two weeks before the meet, they're like, man, the bar feels so light. And it's like, yeah, it's because, you know, we beat you up for a couple of weeks and now we're backing off and we're trying to get some super compensation. So it's called, you know, obviously we don't do that with the very beginners. We just keep it real simple with them, but, uh, cause anything's going to get them better more or less. But with the girls that have trained for a while, um, you know, um, you can employ that kind of tactic where you, you beat them down a little bit and then allow them to come back and recover and be, be at their best on the platform is which one it counts. And then also when it comes to competitions, there's some people that we are called practice players that absolutely excel in the gym. They look amazing in the gym. They go to the platform, they go to the meet and they just, they just can't put it together on meet day. Uh, and then there's other girls. We have one girl, Rachel, uh, for example, it was struggling, just struggling in training and shows up at the meet and PRs on every single lift <laughs> goes nine for nine and has a huge PR on every single lift. And two weeks before the meet, you'd swear she'd never lifted a barbell in her life. So getting to know your athlete and, and I've had a number of girls in the past that, you know, struggle in the weight room and then go to the meet and pull, you know, you know, pull 365 off the floor. And it looks like it's a joke when they were struggling with 275 two weeks before in training. So some people are just game players. Some people love competition and they get in that competition setting and it raises them up a level and other people are amazing in the gym and then they get to the meet and they kind of fall apart. So it's, that's a part of learning, um, your client and obviously those people that struggle in the meet 
Um, you got to be a little more conservative with them, and you've got to start them off lighter, get some, build some confidence with them, and go for really small PRs. Uh, and then those the girls that are game players, you can be a little more aggressive with them because you know if you load that bar up, they're probably going to lift it. So that's just getting to know your client. Um, the third question is from uh, Jessica. And Jessica is a trainer. Uh, I can't remember where. But she works at a studio, and she's an independent contractor, uh, which I have done before. She pays, I think, $600 a month. And she can train as many people as she wants. She has free Iranian access to the gym. Um, I chatted with her on the phone a little bit, actually. And she enjoys the gym. She just kind of wants to do her own thing. And, you know, I, I was in that same situation. Uh, and you've got to understand that when you open your own facility, you know, your overhead's going to go from $700 to probably, at the very least, in some areas, you know, you're looking at three to six to seven thousand dollars a month in rent, depending on um, where you're located. Um, Lexington's pretty reasonable. You can find some pretty reasonable uh, real estate here. And then, if you want to be like on a storefront property, so you get visual, lots of visual, um, you're gonna have to pay even more. So then, all of a sudden, you're having to work more just to break even. Um, and then that comes the factor of you're gonna have to hire someone to do admin for you. You're going to have to hire other coaches. And then are you going to be able to coach those other coaches? And when you're working your butt off, you know, training people every hour all day, are you going to have the energy to mentor these other coaches and then keep them all on the same page? And you've got staff meetings. Then, you you know, you've got more expenses. So you're going to have to have an accountant. So the beauty of the independent contractor is that you pay your rent and you're done. You don't have to clean. You don't have to do anything. Once you go home, your, your life is finished. None of your life isn't finished, but your job is done. And then you've got all sorts of time to spend programming for your clients or educating yourself. But when you're like the business owner, like even though I have this morning off, like I still had to do admin work. I still had to do uh, planning stuff. Uh, I had to go de- meet with the bank this morning to, to, to look at some different things and, and I'm kind of re-strategizing uh, my business and kind of moving some things around. So I had to meet with them and talk to them about some different issues. So your job never really ends. And then if you have, you, you either got to hire someone to do it for you and then you have to manage them or you have to hire someone to manage them. So it has the potential to make more money in the end, but I would encourage you if you're an independent contractor is to, to ride that horse till it's dead. And then there's so many opportunities online through podcasts, through blogs, through um, different coaching venues that you can work with people online, you know, put your time in, do some, do some consulting online after you've got some experience. There's a huge opportunity to create some residual revenue online Um so that you can make some money without having any overhead. And, and that's the thing. So if you're in a, if I could go back now, um, I love my gym. Don't get me wrong, but I've learned as time goes on that I'm not very good at managing other people. So it makes it very difficult. Um, and so I end up working more than I should. Um, if, if I could go back now and look at where I was in like 2008, 2009 paying, you know, $500 a month to work at LAC here in Lexington, you know, the much smarter choice, which would get would have given me more freedom, 
would have been to stay an independent contractor and then just develop, you know, do podcasts and do some online stuff to to bring in some extra revenue and um, and have more free time, you know, because it's there's a lot of gym owners. And I've talked to Rob Wolf about this. You know, Rob said the, the worst thing he ever did for his health was open a gym. <laughs> and it's kind of funny. You, you do You get into this business to help others, but then you end up destroying yourself in the process. And I know Joe DeFranco uh, and I chatted the other day. It was his birthday. I sent him a text message, and, and um, we were kind of just chatting about things. And he's just, just reduced his overhead and downsized dramatically. And he's, he says he's so much happier having to manage less. He's got one staff member now, and he's able to make – you know, just as much, but uh, not have to work quite as much and, and have he has more free time for his family and, and all that good stuff. So the grass is always greener on the other side. And I know it sounds really exciting to open your own facility, but you need to get to know, uh, know what you're getting into before you get into it. Because no matter what you put on paper, times it by two to three. I know Cressy was, uh, was posting on uh, uh, Pete, his business partner, and Eric's if you want to follow somebody who's really smart about business, is Eric Cressy is super smart about business. He hired somebody or worked, partnered with somebody to do all the business side of things so he could just coach and do his blog stuff. And Eric is a, does a fantastic job of, of um, putting out high-quality content and working with people. He's got incredible staff that he does a great job mentoring and training. They've got all these systems in place. So if you are going to open your own gym, just realize it's going to probably cost two or three, maybe four to five times more than you think it's going to cost in the beginning. I mean, the toilet paper, the wipes, the all these little incidental costs, cleaning supplies, it adds up over time. And, and that has to come from somewhere. And then you've got, depending on where you're at, you're looking at permits for the city and, and, and just, you know, and once you, you know, I just got a, uh, a letter from a uh, music uh, company that does um, licensing. So you have to pay, like I have to pay so many hundred dollars a year to play music in my gym. And there's like three or four of these companies that do this. And I've talked to some of my other buddies that own facilities and they're paying like, you know, two, three, four, five hundred dollars a year to different, these different companies just so they can play, you can play music in your gym. And or else they'll find you. And uh, so there's always a hidden expenses. Um, and the bigger you get, the more expenses there's going to be, the bigger target you become. So, you know, don't be so um, yeah, I advise Jessica when I talk to her to to really make sure that that's what you really want and have all that stuff in pa- on paper, like how you're going to train your staff. You know, what's your what's your uh, what's your what is your mission statement? Uh, what kind of people are you going to look for? Like, how are you going to find these people? Have an internship on paper. Um, these things are hard to do and hard to create if you're training, you know, eight to ten sessions a day. It's hard to create this stuff on the fly. So you want to have all these systems in place before you even um, open your gym. And, and, and like Pat Rigsby is a really good resource for that. He has some some mentoring programs or some other coaches online that, that, uh, that have, uh, these kind of business mentoring things. But honestly, if it was me five, six years ago, and don't get me wrong, I love my gym. Um, I would stick, I'd ride that independent contractor horse into the ground until you can't find somewhere to work as an independent contractor. Uh, but then there's always options. You can always go sublease some space from somebody like there's gymnastic studios and that, or these, some of these soccer facilities that might have a corner somewhere that you could, you know, sublease from them at a very a significantly less rate. 
So, you know, and you got to remember when you sign that lease, you are the lease like that debt follows you. You know, um, there's ways you can kind of get around that by creating LLCs and things like that. But, you know, once you sign that lease for that, that lease might be worth, you know, two or three hundred thousand dollars, that's hanging over your head. You know, whereas like, you know, if you have a bad month or two and your your overhead's five hundred dollars, you could go Uber and do that and make up for it. You know, but if your lease is five or six thousand dollars and all of a sudden you have a bad month or you're you get sick or something happens, um, it's pretty hard to make that five or six thousand dollars up by driving Uber. So, um, you know, keep your overhead as low as you can. If you do decide to open your own facility, start super small. Wait till people are spilling over the rafters before you expand. Don't go getting yourself in a whole bunch of business debt um, just to buy all the fancy machines and equipment. Um, start slow, add things progressively. Um, but make sure you have systems in place because if you are going to open your own facility, you need to have people helping you. And then you need to have like how we're going to coach this, how we're going to do this. You need to have regular staff meetings and create uh, the kind of community that you want. And it's hard work. And I really struggle with that. Um, I love coaching and I love doing, you know, direct hands on coaching. And I'm not good at the uh, at all the rest of that stuff. That's not my strength. So, you know, if you got to make sure that you know what you're getting yourself into. And I think most people just get a business loan and they get a lease. And then all of a sudden they, they think the clients are just going to fly from everywhere. And that's the thing. It takes time to build up the reputation to where you've got people seeking you out. And, you know, things like Groupon and that have taken a huge advantage of that. I mean, Groupon contacts me all the time and I'm like, sorry, I'm not interested. I, we have a waiting list and I'm not, not really, you know, I don't want to grow my business and they, they look at me like I'm crazy. But like, if you're a trainer and you got this $5,000 lease hanging over your head and you've got a thousand dollar loan payment for all the equipment and you've only got like 20 or 30 clients, you know, Groupon, you know, is going to, is going to take advantage of you because you're going to end up doing a Groupon and charging $20 a month for, for training. And then you're going to get, um, you know, 300 people are going to come into your gym, but they're going to be expecting super discounted prices, you know? So you want to make sure that you're to capacity before you decide to open your own facility. And you're going to make sure too, that you have all these systems in place before you pull that trigger. And then you're going to like, the first thing you need to do is hire an admin person to take care of all your emails, to take care of your taxes, your accounting. So that all gets to your accountant. All that stuff needs to be set up before you do the gym because if you don't, if you do it after, it's 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 going to be difficult. So, uh, like I said, Eric Cressy and Pete Dupree is a is a, a Cressy Performance are great people to follow on that. Uh, good examples. They put on all sorts of great business stuff. So, another short one today. Um, and like I said, if you have any other questions, uh, I will film uh, my three or four different exercises that I do to help keep my shoulders healthy. And I will put it in the, uh, in the show notes so you can check it out. And so that'll kind of be part of the podcast as well. So once again, thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Jim Laird show on body. I O F N continue to support Kiefer and his endeavors. So I can continue to do this show. Have a great day. been listening to the jim laird show with your host jim laird if you'd like to hear more log on to body.io 
Don't miss the next episode of The Jim Laird Show, when he'll probably say something inappropriate, but unexpectedly insightful. 